Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There are people today that were once with the Lord, yet they've forsaken the Lord. And not only have they forsaken the Lord, but they've hewn out cisterns. They've gone after other religions in some cases, or they've gone after other philosophies, other ideas, other things like materialism or whatever. They've gone after things that can never, ever in the end satisfy. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 1 through 6. Now here's Pastor Brian. He created us to to serve him, to do his will, to partner with him, to work alongside of him in what it is that he is doing. And so to me, this is always such a thrilling thing to think about that each and every one of us have been set apart by God for something. And since that's true, the the question then on our part is, have we pursued that? Are we seeking that? Have we discovered that? Are we discovering that? We want to be doing that because that is the place. To be in the place that God created us to be in, to do the thing that God created us to do, whatever it is. It's not just the the typical things we think of like, oh, you know, God called me to be a, a pastor, a preacher. God calls some people to be you know, church leaders in various sort. He calls some people to go to the mission field, things like that. But God calls us to all different kinds of things and he calls us to serve him in a variety of different contexts. And he uses all of his people, having spread them out all through culture, all through society, doing his work, and he's weaving together this amazing tapestry that one day we'll get to see all the beauty of it. So, but understandably, Jeremiah says, Lord, I'm I'm too young. And, you know, sometimes we might say something like that. Now, I'm looking around the room. There's not anybody in here. Maybe there's two or three people who are going to say, I'm too young. I, a lot of us would say, Lord, I'm too old. <laughs> Lord, Lord, you know, wait, it, it's just I'm, I'm way past my, my youth now. But you're never too old. You know, we have some friends. Cheryl and I have some good friends, Doug and Rose Martin, and what's Doug now, 70-something, like 75 or something like that? And, you know, these, these guys, uh, Doug actually used to be, he ran our accounting department when I used to pastor at Calvary Chapel of Vista. He, for many, many years, he worked in an executive kind of a role with Mitsubishi. And then the Lord just put on his heart to quit his job. And so he quit, and he came to work at, at Calvary Chapel Vista for about one tenth of what he was making at Mitsubishi. And then after some time, and he was at least in his 50s at the time, the Lord called them to to leave California and to leave the U.S. and to move to Hungary. And they moved to Hungary and they lived in in Vita. 
a little village in Hungary where we have a conference center. And they lived there for years and they served there. And then they moved back to the States and they kind of bounced around here and there. And about, you know, three years ago or something, four years ago, the Lord put it on their hearts. Rose is a teacher and uh, she got a job teaching in, in, uh, with the U.S. military. And lo and behold, they moved to Japan. And so now they live in Japan. And they still see themselves as they're, they're on a mission. And you could easily say, well, wait a second. You know, that man, come on, you know, 70s, that, that's getting old. It is getting old for sure. But we're, we're, we're never too old. And, and I could tell you a few stories. I won't go into all of this. But, you know, so some of the missionary figures in history in the last couple hundred years, some of them were like, they were so old that a mission society wouldn't send them anywhere. They came and said, I have a vision to go. Uh, C.T. Studd had a vision. He wanted to go to Africa. They said, oh, wait, you're way too old. You're washed up. No, you can't go. Your time is over. You need to just stay here. And he was like, okay, thank you very much. And then he got himself to Africa. And he started a new mission. And I think he was in his 70s at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Am I not mistaken? I'm looking at the, the church historian, Cheryl, here, the missions historian, who in her podcast talks about all this stuff all the time. So whether you think you're too young or you think you're too old or you think I just am not able, I mean, what am I going to do? How can I do anything? You know, none of those things are issues with God. God can overcome any of those things. He can overcome your old age. He can overcome your youth. And he can overcome your inabilities. And Jeremiah is not just saying he's too young. He's also basically saying, I can't go tell people stuff. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a, an orator. I'm, I'm not a prophet. But what does the Lord say? Well, the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. I mean, can you imagine God speaking those words to you as a teenager? Not only am I going to make you a prophet, not only am I putting my words in your mouth, but I have set you over nations and kingdoms to root out and pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. Wow. That must have been absolutely astounding to Jeremiah. And, and we are going to see as we go through this this prophecy, we're going to see how this initial call of God and the confirmation that God gave to Jeremiah, how that was so essential to carry him through all of the difficulty that he would go through in the future, because his job is not going to be an easy one. His job is going to be very, very difficult. It's going to be very, very discouraging. It's going to be very, very dangerous, but the Lord promised to be with him and he would fall back on that over and over again. And so, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Now, the 
reference to the branch of the almond tree here, the almond tree was a tree that would blossom the earliest in the spring. And it's a picture, God is giving a picture to Jeremiah of himself. Jeremiah, you are like the branch of the almond tree. And you're going to, you're going to blossom and you're going to bring forth fruit because of my call upon your life, because of my hand upon your life. And then he says, the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it is facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. So God is saying to Jeremiah, you're going to be fruitful. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to use you. And here's what I'm talking about is going to happen. And so he sees this boiling pot. And this is a reference to Babylon and to the other nations. And, and like a pot uh, would be poured out. So these nations are going to be poured out against the nation of Judah and verse 15, for behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning their wickedness because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods and worshiped the work of of their own hands. And so the judgment is going to come because of this continued resistance, rebellion, idolatry. And so um, just finishing up here in the first chapter, therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces lest I dismay you before them. So this is a heavy command. Don't be dismayed in front of them. He's calling Jeremiah to, to be bold and to have absolute confidence in the Lord. And so he then says, For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. So, wow, what a, what a calling into the ministry. I mean, think about that. God calls us into service to him, and, you know, what if in that calling, God says, okay, here's what's gonna happen. I'm calling you to, to these people and they are going to fight against you, but they will not prevail. But you know, Jesus told us really the same thing, didn't he? Jesus told us that he was gonna send us out as sheep among wolves. He told us that we were going to experience opposition. At, at one point he says, you know, there's coming a day when people are gonna actually kill you. And think that in doing that, they're doing God's service. So the, the call upon our lives, of course, we want to think of the call upon our lives as a joyful, pleasant road of peace and happiness and 
ministry that's overflowing and flourishing and all of those kinds of things. I mean, that's, you know, everybody I know who's in pastoral ministry, that's the picture that we all have of what we want to see happen. But in some cases and in, and in some particular seasons, God calls his servants to more of, a, of an active war type of an environment. And that's the one that we are not all that fond of. That's the one that we think, no, I, I don't really want to go with that. But sometimes that's the case. And Jeremiah is just the perfect case in point because Jeremiah's ministry in the end will not really produce any evident fruit. So God says, I'm gonna make you fruitful, but yet there's no, there's no fruit that will be seen at the end of his, of his prophetic ministry. The fruitfulness is that Jeremiah is going to be faithful to God and he's gonna do the very thing that God sent him to do. That's the fruit that he will bear. But there's really no indication all the way through his prophecy that anyone ever really listened to him or anyone ever really turned in repentance to the Lord. And the nation certainly did not do that. The leaders of the nation did not do that at all. They did just what the Lord said. They fought against Jeremiah. So moving on to the second chapter, as I pointed out here in the second chapter, the the essence of it is that God is, he's making his case against Israel. And so he says to Jeremiah in verse two, he says, go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem saying, thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. So this is where God begins to lay down his complaint against Israel. And he starts with, I remember how things used to be. I remember your kindness and I remember the love of your betrothal. And so there was that time, God's looking back in their history and there was that time when the nation was committed to the Lord and devoted to following him and serving him and honoring him and glorifying him, but things have long since changed. And so verse five, thus says the Lord, what injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, have followed idols and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through the land of deserts and pits, through the land of drought and the shadow of death. Down in verse eight, the priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. So this is the situation. Basically, the people have departed from the Lord and given themselves over to idols. And so as he goes on, he says, therefore I will bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against the children. Children, I will bring charges for pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and sea, 
send to Kedar and consider diligently. So Cyprus, you know, is an island off the Mediterranean or off the the coast of Syria. And Kedar is uh, an area near to what today is uh, Saudi Arabia. But his point is this. He says, go to these other places and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? So among the idolatrous nations, no one dared ever change their god. You just, that would be unthinkable among these idolatrous nations. These nations were under the various gods and they remained under them permanently. So God is just pointing out this situation. Look among the nations, they wouldn't dare to think change gods and their gods aren't even real gods. He says, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. And here they are. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, and have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So this is the indictment. This is the crime. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. So the Lord is likening himself to this, just this continual fresh water flow. And the people forsook him. And then they dug out cisterns. You know, a cistern is uh, something that's that's, um, carved out of stone in the ground that becomes a place where water is held. And, but the cisterns that they have uh, hewn are, are broken. They don't hold water. And so the Lord says, this is what my people have done. They've forsaken me and they've hewn out these cisterns. And, you know, that, that's a picture of, that's a picture of people even today. You know, there, there are people today that, were once with the Lord. They were once with us. They were once part of the family, it seemed, part of the body of Christ, sometimes even serving the Lord. And yet they've forsaken the Lord. And not only have they forsaken the Lord, but they've, they've hewn out cisterns. They've gone after other religions in some case, or they've gone after other philosophies, other ideas, Uh, other things like materialism or whatever. They've gone after things that can't hold water. They've gone after things that can never, ever in the end satisfy. You know, lately these days when I think about the atheist arguments and all of the different theories and ideas out there that people bring forth as their case against God, you know, I'm at a point where, of course, I will debate and go back and forth. But, but in some ways, I almost feel like, like it's, a, it's a waste of time to do that. And it's so much easier to just say, hey, show me, show me the water from your cistern. Let, let's taste that. Let's see what you've got. In other words, you know, the atheist comes forth, they come forth with all their great 
supposed great arguments against God. But then let's turn around and say, okay, okay, what are you offering in place? So you're telling me that there's no God and we could never believe in God and it's stupid to believe in God and it's foolish and all of that. So what are you offering in exchange for faith in God? And man, when they, if they do get around to explaining to you what they're offering, it's like, are you kidding me? Why would I want that? Why would I want a, a perspective on the world that's as dark and dismal and hopeless as the one that you have derived from your great understanding now that you've moved away from the fountain of living water? No, uh, no thanks. I'll stick with the fountain of living water myself because what you've done is you've just hewn out a cistern that can hold no water. There's nothing there that offers anything to anybody. And, you know, you think of even today, you know, with what the things that are going on in the culture and, you know, all of the different riots and, you know, people protesting this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, a good question is like, okay, so what's the alternative? What are you offering as an alternative you obviously hate this, so what are you going to replace this with? And boy, you listen to what they want to replace it with, and you think, holy smokes, you think that's a better option? All of these philosophies, all these ideas, anything that originates with human beings who have rejected God or apart from God, again, maybe I'm just overly simplistic these days, but to me, it's like, hey, that is a cistern that's, that is broken and it cannot hold water, and it's never going to refresh me. It's never going to satisfy me. I, I drank from those broken cisterns. That's how partially how I became a Christian, because I realized there's nothing in these things. And so the thought of returning to that, but that's what Israel did. They did the unthinkable. They left the true God, and they left him for nothing that could ever profit them. And so as we go on in the second chapter, he speaks of the fact that he's going to correct them. Verse 19, he says, your own wickedness will correct you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Over in verse 26, as a thief is ashamed when he is found out, so the house of Israel ashamed they and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets They say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. So God's just speaking of the utter senselessness of their going after these idols, these things that cannot profit or help. They're, you know, they're a block of wood and a piece of stone. So he goes on and with his indictment further, verse 31, O generation, See the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Why do my people say we are lords? We will come no more to you. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. And so the situation in Judah was just simply that the nation, as you know, the nation was built by God. It was built because of God's favor, his blessing, his saving them out of Egypt, his setting them apart. And now they've just completely abandoned their trust in him and they're living their lives as though he didn't 
matter in the least. For the month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I by Timothy Keller. With so much social, cultural, and relational unrest, all of us need to forgive or be forgiven in either small or significant ways. Have you ever found it difficult to forgive someone for a wrong they committed against you? What if that person never apologized? How can you forgive someone who hasn't even acknowledged they have done something wrong? In his book, Forgive, Timothy Keller lays out the path of forgiveness that leads to reconciliation rather than the path of unforgiveness that can lead towards retaliation. You'll learn about the power of forgiveness that can bring freedom both to the one who forgives and the one who has been forgiven. We are living in a time where forgiveness is desperately needed. If you're struggling with forgiveness or even guilt, then you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I by Timothy Keller is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Jeremiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.